St. John's is one of the legendary names in all of college basketball. Has it fallen on tough times? Yes, it has. But now we're ready to, to fall on great times. We're ready to raise it up, raise this roof up, because St. John's is going to be back, I guarantee it. Everybody is off the floor, but had no time left. One free throw will win it, and stunned it. The senior wins it. You are now listening to the Eye of the Storm Podcast. What's going on, Johnny Nation? Welcome to episode 87 of the Eye of the Storm Podcast. My name is David Barrow, and St. John simply can't shake the black cloud that looms over them anytime they step foot inside the Prudential Center to face Seton Hall. In their last two games in that building, they suffered a 22-point loss and followed that up on Tuesday night with an 80-65 to 65 loss, falling to 12-6 and six and 4-3 and three on the season in the Big East play. St. John's is 1-12 in Newark all-time in that arena. And if you listen to the last episode, well, nobody looks dumber than yours truly. So thanks a lot, St. John's. Yes, Coach Rick Pitino and Jordan Dingle missed the game because of COVID. The great news preceding a St. John's game that has historically followed this program continues. But listen, the way that the guys played on Tuesday night, I'm not sure if LeBron James would have helped. From the word go, you could see that something was wrong. This didn't look like the team that went toe-to-toe with Creighton two days prior. It didn't look like the team that handled Xavier and Butler handily. It didn't look like the team that had their way with Villanova on the road. And it certainly didn't look like a team that survived a fight with Providence. No, these were somebody else. Honestly, The group that was out there Tuesday night didn't look like the guys that lost to Michigan even on game two of the season. And I don't know what it was, but almost like the Monstars came into the locker room before the game and took their powers away. I know that sounds silly and it's not an excuse. uh, Just what it looked like. Frank and I were in the building sitting on opposite ends of the Prudential Center, both of us looking pretty depressed. And apparently the cameras were on me and my section from time to time because they were looking for the most depressed looking St. John's fans in the arena. And how could you blame any St. John's fans who made that trek to Newark, New Jersey in 10 degree weather and in the snow. But uh, Frank, what were your emotions and what were your takeaways from that atrocious, abominable performance by St. John's? I've never regretted a 10 minute drive or commute more than I regretted the 10 minutes it takes me to get from my house here in Newark to the Prudential Center on uh, on on Tuesday night. Absolutely abysmal performance. Um, and honestly, I said it on Twitter and you know, a few days later, I still feel it. It's one of the most, if not the most deflating loss I can think of uh, as a St. John's fan. Of course, we've had worse losses. You know, we lost to NGIT and Delaware State in the early Mullen years. Um, you know, games like that, you know, there's some awful games in the norm years as well. But from a expectation standpoint, from a, hey, you know, we know we're back. Now I want to just give it back to one of our rivals who's given it to us really good over the last decade. Uh, and I was excited to do that. I was excited to sit there in the the arena for that. And, I, you know, I was probably flying a little high because the last road game I went to, we, we smoked Villanova by 20. So I'd never felt that deflated in a long time. And, yeah, it was just it was an awful feeling. And it was the first time I think I've ever, ever, ever left a St. John's game early. And I had season tickets for 
you know, all four Mullen years and all four uh, Mike Anderson years. And I've never left at the U8 timeout, which is when my wife, after many minutes of begging, finally convinced me to stop slumping in my chair and coming back and forth to my phone and, and get the hell out of there, which was probably the best decision for my mental health. I got out of there early as well. Like uh, I left at about the six minute mark. Definitely not something that I do either. It was just enough is enough. And yeah, you follow the rest of it from home and, you know, as they say, beat the traffic. It sucks because it's Seton Hall. And and I've said this before, and it was odd because I had some people saying, how can you hate Seton Hall more than anybody else in the Big East? I, really easily, guys. Like, have you been, like, paying attention? Uh, one in 12 in Newark certainly doesn't help my liking of Seton Hall. You want to beat your crosstown rivals. You want to beat the guys that you feel like you should. And the reason why I led with what I did is... I'm not as doom and gloom from the game because it looked like something was wrong. Yes, there was a horrendous effort given by the guys, but something just looked really wrong. I mentioned that that's not what they looked like in their losses, whether it was Boston College or Michigan or Dayton. They looked like they've never played before. They looked like that was 10 guys from the YMCA just thrown together and said, hey, go play basketball. It was very odd. Rick Pitino was not there and Jordan Dingle, but Rick Pitino obviously is not there. Steve Masiello gets the nod to coach. Steve Masiello has plenty of head coaching experience, but he hasn't coached this group. They say a good coach is worth what? A few buckets, right? A Hall of Fame coach is probably worth maybe six to eight points. Rick Pitino doesn't change the fact that St. John's wins or loses that game. Where I think Rick Pitino helps is he doesn't allow a 28 to zero run happen. I think he calls a timeout at some point. I think he finds a, a play or draws up a play that stops the bleeding. But something just looked wrong on the floor, whether they were tired, whether they were sick, whether they were something. And I'm not alluding to anybody being sick. I don't know. That's just what it looked like. Something looked off and it there was nothing for me to pull from in the past and previous losses that I could make sense of it. So personally, I'm chalking this off to a complete anomaly unless I'm proven wrong and proven otherwise on Saturday. It was an absolutely listless performance. There was no energy, no fire, no heart. It, it just was, you know, a completely listless is the probably the best word I have for it. They just did not look like they wanted to be there. They looked like looked like they'd rather be anywhere in the world but in the Prudential Center uh, at at eight thirty p.m. on on Tuesday night. I think I do think Rick is worth a little more than six to eight points. I think he's probably worth. Uh, at least 10 to 15 points. And I think, you know, maybe even more the way that game went because of the fact that things just spiraled downward uh, from from that 28 to in, during that 28 to 0 run. So for my oh, money, hold on. I don't so know. If we, I don't know if we I don't know if we win the game. I'm not saying we win the game with Rick, but I'm saying it's not it's not a 20 point blowout. So that's my, that's OK. That's where I was going to go. Like, if Rick Patino was on the sidelines, but everything else is the same. Do you think that it's. It's better than that. I think we could both agree to that. But given what they look like and, and the product that was on the court, uh, again, I don't know if you put anybody, if Hakeem Olajuwon walked on that floor, if Chris Mullen walked on the floor, it didn't look like anybody could, could, could make a shot. 
0 of 10 to start the game. Uh, you know, Dylan Adaiwusu, what do he do? Cover the rim on our side of the of the court? That was, that was it was insane. It, you you just knew from the word go that uh, things were going wrong. The first little spurt when they were 0 and 10, actually, I I wasn't that worried at that point, just because I thought they were they were getting good looks. I don't think they. I, I rewatched that portion this morning. That's literally all well, I could stomach rewatching, but. Uh, that opening segment where they went 0 for 10, every one of those shots was a pretty good shot. There might have been, you know, one or two plays. Maybe they should have played different, you know, uh, a lean on the break. Maybe should have gone to the hoop instead of pulling up from six feet and hitting the front rim by a mile. Yeah. Uh, wasn't even close. And, you know, maybe there was a fast break two on one where Ledlam probably should have hit Louise a little earlier and let Louise do his trick. Instead, he went to him when he was already on the block and he got kind of jammed up. So, you know, a couple of things. But, you know, the other eight shots were all pretty wide open, including a couple wide open threes, a couple open mid ranges that we usually hit. Uh, Joel had a couple sky hooks in that sequence that, that he usually hits. And so, um, you know, that is the, you know, bizarre part of the game, let's say, and, and the unexplicable, inexplicable part of the game is that, you know, these guys came out and just were missing shots that, that they regularly hit. And, and on Joel's case, easy shots that he normally hits uh, from right around the rim. So uh, over a guy that he was, you know, was giving up two or three inches to Joel. So, you know, that, that was, bizarre and, and inexplicable and gonna happen it's gonna happen that's a tough way to start a game on the it road. is a tough way but they paddled back from that is the is the point because that right you know that assessment of mine at the time was was correct that you know the shots were gonna start falling eventually we just were getting good looks and just couldn't hit them and then you know 28 to 0 happened and we stopped getting good looks and yeah. we stopped playing defense and you know whatever the case may be i mean i don't remember how many minutes that stretch was but it did feel a little bit like hall I got it, it did you. feel a little bit like hall should have been further ahead uh in that stretch where we were 0 and 10 but oh listen well we started 0 and 10 uh and it was something like 13 to seven when St. John's kind of started to come back. It felt like Seton Hall should have been like up 22 yeah. to six. Like it, it really, they got lucky. The fact that Seton Hall started missing St. John's defense started to put it together. St. John's eventually does tie the game at 24, but they don't score for the first 453 of the game. They then end up going on an 8 0 run. And up until the 433 mark, it was, it was fairly even. And then it was tied. And all of a sudden, the wheels fell off. Right hook after uppercut. St. John's would not score again until 16.03 of the second half. The Johnnies trailed by 14 points at the half, which was about nine actual game minutes or 37 real-time minutes, as noted by Mike Vaccaro in the New York Post. It felt like an eternity. It's unlike anything I have seen in God knows how long. It was unbelievable. Seton Hall just completely turned the tables on the tempo. They gave St. John's a taste of their own medicine by going full court press in the first half. And I think that Shaheen Holloway deserves a lot of credit. What I saw out of Seton Hall, and I've said it up until Tuesday, I thought Seton Hall's been playing above their head. I thought that they were finding a way to win with smoke and mirrors. But what I saw, besides St. John's, obviously no showing. I saw a really tough team. I saw a team that is so bought in on the mission given the overall lack of talent, because I don't think anybody, you can ask Seton Hall fans, there's not an abundance of talent on that team. Katari Richmond is having a Big East player of the year type season. Alamir Dawes is a great player. In my opinion, that's pretty much where it ends as far as major talent on the team. But they find a way, and they're gritty, and they're tough as hell, and they beat the living hell out of St. John's on the glass. And that's where toughness kind of shows. And I think that that's where St. John's should be embarrassed 
because up until that point, St. John's is one of the best rebounding teams, one of the best offensive rebounding teams, and they got just manhandled on the boards to the tune of 49 to 28 on the offensive glass, 21 to 12. They were outscored in the paint, 28 to 24. Seton Hall just toyed with them all night. And honestly, it looked like St. John's was the team that was picked ninth in the preseason, not Seton Hall. So Seton Hall deserves a lot of credit. They're tied first place in the Big East. All credit to Shaheen Holloway and what he has done. Dylan Adaiwusu had the game of his life, 16 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, because of course. But I'm chalking it up as an anomaly because that was unlike any performance that I've seen out of this group. And there's no reason for you as a St. John's fan, somebody that's watching this team, should think that that would happen again. Absolutely. And for me, the rebounding is just completely inexplicably egregious and rebounding and defense for that matter are about are about effort i mean you know if you're putting an effort on defense and rebounding that's about i don't know 75 percent of the battle for rebounding and maybe half the battle on defense seton hall is not a great defensive rebounding team anyway they're giving up they're they're 238th in the country in opponents offensive rebound percentage and for us to get absolutely abused on the glass by two guys that were giving up a couple inches to joel you know, frankly, are not, you know, very highly touted as great rebounders or highly touted big men uh, is is completely inexcusable. Joel got his lunch yeah. eaten by a guy who was playing for Austin P last year and is averaging three rebounds a game or something in the big news this year. It was absolutely absurd and inexcusable. And, you know, they they need to be better. And it's it's particularly frustrating because we listened to all the quotes coming out of Creighton on Saturday, and it seemed like they understood it was the effort things at the end that got them not getting that rebound and, you know, whatever else was, was going on down the stretch. Um, you know, all the quotes, they said all the right things, but, you know, actions speak louder than words. And they got out there and just did not, you know, did not look the part and did not look like they believed in all those things they said about, about hustling and effort and sense of urgency and everything else. There was none of that uh, to be found on Tuesday night anywhere. And, you know, I, I go back to the Rick thing just because, you know, there's a certain level of trust between players and a coach, right? And I think we saw that for four years under Mike Anderson where, you know, the players tuned him out. They didn't trust him. They knew by and large that he was not putting them in a position to be successful and win. And, I, you know, I'm not saying Maz, Maziello can't do that, but I think that rapport and that trust with the players is not there. And so if Rick was, you know, struggling all week with game planning and scouting and all of that and, and Maziello was picking up the slack, you know, those guys might have gone in there saying, hey, you know, you know, subconsciously or maybe even a little bit consciously, you know, I don't know if I trust this game plan. I don't know if I trust what Maziel is doing. I don't know if I trust him to make the in-game adjustments and stuff. So, you know, I think there's certainly, you know, a little bit of that that probably factored into this as well. And that's why I do think Patino makes a, a much bigger impact than than you do. And I think the game planning and, and being prepared for that game. Uh, not just being the sidelines is, is part of that deficit with Patino for this game. It's it's not an excuse. We we had the talent to go out there and compete and and the guys just no showed. So it is what it is. And you know, it's it's important you kind of touched on it. We need to have perspective. I mean, you know, I know you've got some uh some stats you want to talk about or games and of results of other teams you want to talk about. And for me, I'm just gonna mention last season, UConn. From December 31st until January 25th, they lost six of seven or six of eight games, including a game to us and Seton Hall, neither of whom were any good last year. So, you know, for, and then we all know how that ended. They went on to win, uh, win the national championship and they had not lost a single out of conference game all season. 
Big East Conference is a grind. Even the best, most elite teams will drop games inexplicably. Um, and so, you know, you're going to lay an egg, maybe two. I would say we, you know, we kind of laid a little bit of an egg against Providence and managed to escape, which was a good sign. Uh, you know, Tuesday night, we played a really, really good Seton Hall team and laid an egg. And that's what happens when you lay an egg against a really, really good team, as opposed to a team that's good, but missing their, you know, was really good, but was missing their star player. So, uh, you know, that's sort of the big one that I, I focus on when I'm trying to put this in perspective. I do think, you know, we're going to be fine this year. We've got enough enough games, enough opportunities, and, and a very realistic and makeable path to still get, uh, you know, somewhere in the 7 to 10 seed range in the NCAA tournament. So, you know, nothing is screwed here. You know, they, if they come out looking like this again, then maybe we can start to worry a little more. But for now, you chalk it up to an abomination, you burn the tape, and you get back at it with more urgency on Saturday against Marquette. So I don't agree with you in regards to – the Massiello point in regards to where the team uh, would not have confidence because it's him on the, on the sidelines. I think it's more towards the first part of your point about the trust with Rick Pitino not being there and just the familiarity and knowing how, even the way that he yells at you, right. And the way that he's pointing things out, the way that he would call a timeout, the way that he would sub guys in and out. Again, I, I don't think Rick Pitino being there changes the outcome of this game, the way that it looked, but it certainly again, doesn't allow 28 to zero happen. And if 28 to zero doesn't happen, could that alter the entire game? And there's a very good chance of that. You know, I don't exactly remember when the timeouts were called during that run, but you just have to think that Patino, where he was watching the game in his house was probably screaming at the TV to call a timeout or, or and, and all that. So I, I, again, it's easy to kind of look back. It's easy to play armchair quarterback. Uh, but I know I would pay a lot of money to have watched that game with Rick Pitino. Uh, I would have worn a mask and I would have loved to watch it with him because I could only imagine the emotions that he was going through. In regards to the stats that you talked about, Frank, you and I are beaten down, PTSD suffering, card carrying St. John's suffering. Yeah. Suffers too, but diehards. Let's go with that. <laughs> Our fan base, when something goes wrong, is doom and gloom, chicken little skies fall. As Zach Braziller likes to point out this season, it is very difficult to win on the road in the Big East. The Big East, up until Wednesday, is 22 and 8 at home. It is very hard to win on the road. St. John's has protected their home court thus far, it's 3 and 0 at home. But when something like this happens, everybody wants to go and say, holy crap, St. John's is dead. Let me put it into perspective a little bit. UConn has lost by 15 points on the road to Seton Hall. Seton Hall has lost by 20 points on the road to Xavier and had two other road losses out of conference by 18 and 13. Creighton has two losses this season away from home by 21 to Colorado State and 15 to UNLV. Marquette lost by 15 on the road to Providence and by 11 to Wisconsin on the road. Villanova has a 13-point loss to Marquette on the road, a 10-point loss to us, and a 13-point loss to St. Joe's. Butler got smoked by Xavier on the road by 14, lost by 10 in Providence, by Michigan State by 20 on the road. Xavier lost to St. John's in Queens by 15. Providence has a 20-point loss to Xavier and a 21-point loss to Oklahoma on the road. You're not alone. 
these other teams have lost also. And I'm sure their fan bases feel the same, but we're here to try to put it into perspective. Now, again, I will go back to what I said earlier, what Frank just said. If they lay another egg on Saturday, that's where you can worry. Until then, anomaly. That is that that is where my head is at. That is going based on the facts that this team has provided this season. For sure. And the people who are panicking right now are the ones that are, you know, it's reactionary. You're you're looking at what just happened and you're not looking at the big picture. We've got a Q1A victory against Utah. We've got a Q1A victory against Villanova on the road. You know, we've got plenty of opportunities left. We've got, I think if you win three or four road games in the Big East, you're going to be great. We've still got road games left against probably the five worst teams in the league right now with PC without Hopkins, Butler, Xavier, Paul, and Georgetown. Um, so you've got those five road opportunities right there. Two of them should be layups. The other three are, are going to be a little tougher road road victories, but they are you know very winnable games for us on the road. So you've got plenty of opportunities here to to continue to make your resume. And as far as I'm concerned, the way I gamed out the season, we're still on schedule. If we win the rest of the games that we should win at at home, um, which at home against the you know bottom seven teams in the league, not Marquette, Creighton, and UConn, and then, you know, win the four against DePaul and and Georgetown. That leaves you just one, two, three wins short of the tournament, depending on what the bubble looks like. So we're still we're still right there, well within it. We're still in everybody's bracketology yeah. brackets right now. Comfortably. Um comfortably, like like an eight or a nine seat comfortable. So, you know, I'm not not worried in the slightest. And, you know, we just burn the tape and move on from that one. All right. The two things that were good and concerning out of this game. And we're going to start wrapping this up soon. Something's going on with Joel Soriano. Six points, four rebounds in 19 minutes, three of eight from the floor. He hasn't really played well the last few games. Like you said, he got his lunch eaten by Elijah Hutchins Everett. Don't know what's going on. He looks to be pressing a little bit, maybe lack of confidence. Uh, Again, don't know if he was just under the weather or something that again, everybody looked weird in that game, but Joel Looks to be in a bit of a funk. He's got to snap out of it. Everything still runs through him. So he really needs to snap out of it. RJ Luis only played a handful of minutes, got yanked. I'm going to chalk that up to St. John's being in a blowout and they're not wanting to possibly exacerbate some shin splints or something like that. But he didn't play great at all. And that was just a perhaps a load management type of a moment. We have to give major props on the flip side to Zuby Ejiofor. You want to talk about a guy who's been coming on lately. Zuby Ejiofor is the guy. I know he got your game ball recently. 13 points, five blocks off of the bench. He's been playing much better of late. And I just listened to a interview by Sean Miller recently who said that in his experience, freshmen and young players always start to turn the corner in January and February. And we've seen that with Brady Dunlap. Now we're seeing it with Zuby. You've heard me say that I basically consider Zuby a freshman because he only played three games at Kansas. So I think that if you start seeing a little bit more of that offense from Zuby, and he doesn't need to give you 13, but if he can give you six to eight and play the type of defense that he's been playing, he becomes another weapon. And I think it's really good to see that because he's starting to play like the guy that got all that hype in uh, August and September from Coach Patino. It's really nice to see that that side of, of Zuby come out, that height side that Rick Patino saw in practice. It's nice to see that finally translating to the game. 
like you said, he played a uh, a really good game yesterday. He's been playing good defense for for several games in a row now. I'm happy he's emerging. It's gonna you know take a little bit of the load off Joel's shoulders, and you know maybe that's part of the problem with Joel. Maybe he's you know feeling the stress of of having to try to carry this team and having to play you know 32, 33 minutes a game. And you know if you can get more like ten or twelve out of Zuby. You know, take a little bit of the pressure off Joel, save him, save his legs for stretch runs uh, late in games, that kind of thing. I think, you know, you'll be you'll be much better off. And and obviously, you know, the 13 points yesterday, huge. Um, but even the game before and that. And he hit a three. And he hit a three. And even the game before that, you know, uh, at Creighton, he had six points and uh, in only 13 minutes, six points and four rebounds. Uh, and I think he had, a, well, no, no blocks, two assists and two steals, though. Um, so yeah, he, he's had two two really quality games in a row, and you know he gives a different look than than Joel. He's a little smaller, a little more mobile. He's got he's got pretty good post moves that he showed the last couple of games as well. I mean he he put he put Cockbrenner in a bind once with a really nice post move. So you know to see his emergence is, is good, and it you know gives you that insurance policy if Joel does get in trouble. And maybe you know I think at times even when Joel was playing well, his defense looked a little little soft at times, and I think you know maybe part of that was worrying about foul trouble and you know worrying about the the backup behind him but you know hopefully with Zuby playing that well yes uh, on Tuesday Rick says to him look Joel I need you to defend better do not worry about the fouls we've got Joe Zuby here he's figuring he's figuring it out he's looking really good and and he can he can get your back if you get into foul trouble but I need you to defend tougher and better and more hard nose and you know hopefully that that comes to bear because you know we we need Joel we need Joel to play tough defense we've got you know, games coming up against a lot of good big men, Nicodaro, uh, you know, Cockbender again in the return game, Klingon will be back for the February 3rd matchup. Uh, of course, Dixon again on on Wednesday or Tuesday, whenever we play Nova Monday, I don't even know. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we're going to need him to to figure it out, and, and hopefully he does, uh, you know, start and set. And I'm also seeing, like, a lot of fans are saying, ah, you guys, in the next game they should bench Joel and let Zuby start and send a message. Uh, guys, relax. Joel Soriano is the anchor of this team, and let's let's relax. This isn't a video game. You know, you don't mess around like this in Big East play. Um, the only other guy that joined Zuby Ejiofor in double digit scoring was Danis Jenkins. He had 17 points, five assists, six of 14 from the floor. Not great, uh, but nobody was great in that one i mean six of 14 is not that bad that's like 45 percent. i mean that's pretty good for a guard that shoots predominantly mid-range and threes right uh i'm happy with that performance and i thought his shot selection was decent in the in the parts of the game i saw <laughs> anyway so three of eight three of eight from three for danis uh again uh, you want to see him hitting those threes that was important uh, again not not much positive to to get from this uh from this game on the offensive or defensive side uh for st john's Frank, on Saturday, St. John's has a chance to bounce back. St. John's has a chance to punch back. And St. John's has a chance to beat a ranked opponent as they welcome the Marquette Golden Eagles to Madison Square Garden. Marquette has not been a team that has played well on the road. The hope is the fans show up and actually make it a home court environment. Marquette's not going to travel well in regards to the fans. And there's going to be some inclement weather. It sounds like snow. But St. John's needs to bounce back. And the good thing about us waiting a day to record, normally we would record the day after the game. Today we're recording uh, Thursday evening. We have found out that Rick Pitino is back in the office. We found out that Rick Pitino is on track to be back on the sidelines 
on Saturday at Madison Square Garden. And what we also found out is St. John's is going to be donning retro throwback uniforms from the 1994 Felipe Lopez team. And so that's going to be really cool. They're going to have a court that matches the vibes as well. So Patino back, retro jerseys, not sure about Jordan Dingle. So I, I can't give you an update there. From what we understand, no other players are sick and everybody else is good to go. Again, we still got Friday and Saturday morning to get through. But St. John's will have their coach back. And St. John's will have fancy throwback uniforms that have the entire fan base buzzing. Now go out there and win the game. You have a ranked opponent who is good, not great this year. They did just get a win earlier in the week, but this Marquette team is beatable. They lost Sean Jones, which is a really, really important piece to them. Now, he's not Cam Jones, but Sean Jones is one of their backup guards. Super fast, really shifty, somebody that's given St. John's problems before. The Johnnies have to answer back they can't lose three in a row you don't want to fall into that kind of a tailspin you don't need people to start questioning what this makeup is so bounce back come back beat a ranked team get that ranked win on your resume that's going to be uh nice as well and get back on the right track and prove that it was an aberration prove that it was an anomaly and prove that you're not going to play like that again i think you have a good opportunity this is a potential for a statement win something that you want seen a lot of fans starting to say that Utah is not a sexy win and St. John's doesn't have a good win still. The road win against Nova is not good enough. They need a sexy win. Uh, people are insane. So I, I think you have a good opportunity. You got an opportunity. Go out there and win on Saturday. Let's go. Turn turn the page and uh, and and prove that it was an anomaly. I mean, this is it. You, you got to come out with your hair on fire after a performance like that. I thought we were going to see that on Tuesday night uh, after the way the Creighton game ended. Unfortunately, obviously did not happen. But now you've got to do it again, this time on your home floor with the crowd behind you. Again, people, get out there. Pack the garden. We need you. The team needs you. We got to be there. We got to be loud. We got to make it a real home court at MSG. And thankfully, because Marquette's all the way in Wisconsin, we should not have a ton of uh, of pushback on on that in the garden on Saturday. Uh, you know, I'll be pre-gaming at 830. Um, anybody's welcome to join me. I'm always I always tweet it out. Sullivan's. Uh, by the garden so look get there be loud the weather's supposed to come tomorrow not saturday morning it should be all clear you know just cold saturday morning um so you know get there please do it and let's uh let's help this team get to uh you know get a w on saturday and a big one at that um again like you said marquette not a good road team they were not a good road team last year even though they were they were pretty elite last year i think they only had six or seven losses total and i think four or five of them were on the road um including all of their big east losses i think were on the road except for one maybe uh so you know, uh, it's a great opportunity and it'll still be a statement win. And for anybody out there who's talking about the Utah win not being sexy or the Villanova win not being sexy, go look at a metric. Go look at the net because that's what the committee looks at, right? Villanova on the road is a quad 1A win. It does not get any better than that. Utah neutral floor, quad 1A win based on their net. It doesn't get any better than that. Those are two signature wins. They might not have the sexy name. It might not be a blue blood or an AP ranked team. And who cares about the AP poll? It's irrelevant. <laughs> These are, those are statement wins for the committee that will shine on the resume. And we just got to pile up a few more to make the final case and get the best seed line. Possible. This was my rebuttal to when I heard that the Utah win wasn't sexy. Change Utah's name 
to Kansas and look at the numbers and look at the record and look at everything else and tell me if it's sexy now. Sure is. You just think that Utah is a uh, boring state. So uh, it is what it is. Johnny's have a chance. Bounce back on Saturday. Interesting that it's against Marquette, who are starting to draw a lot of parallels to the Seton Hall team that just kicked St. John's butt from last year. Pick ninth, potential coach of the year, potential player of the year in the Big East with Kadari Richmond, Tyler Kolick, Shaka Smart, Sheen Holloway. Pick ninth at the top at first place. I don't think they're going to go and win 17 games in the Big East. That would be something. But uh, I would say that Seton Hall is for sure the most surprising team in the Big East and probably one of the biggest surprises in college basketball. That's for sure. So uh, Seton Hall props to you guys, props to Shaheen Holloway. And quick shout out to my buddy Jack Bosworth on the Seton Hall golf team was uh giving me a little back and forth at the Prudential Center and uh, having a good time with him. Shout out to Jack. He got the best of us. We'll see you guys again at UBS Arena for the follow-up in a few weeks. But St. John's has Marquette next on Saturday. Johnny's 12-6, and 4-3 and three in the Big East, looking to get one more. Frank Wolfetta, I'm David Barrow. Thank you for listening. Johnny Nation, see you Saturday at Madison Square Garden. Catch you next time. You've been listening to the Eye on the Storm podcast. Go Johnny!